Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. I'm sure you heard that. <laughs> the puns. Computer has been having some issues today, probably the weather. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour, and welcome to California Haunts Radio, where you listen with an open mind. Anyhow, my name is Charlotte again. I'll introduce myself. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, and that what that means is that we can get to you. It might take us a couple hours because California is a big state. But uh, we can get to you to help you with your any paranormal needs you might have. We also have associates in Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and Hawaii. All right, getting right into it. Tonight's guest, I'm excited about. I don't know about you, but I was one of those people that loved reading the Guinness Book of World Records. Loved it. I, I'm, a, I'm a fact person. I love, I love looking at facts. Sometimes I like the weird facts, like frogs falling out of the sky and things like that. The guest I have on tonight has written... Five books on different facts. And they're just loaded with facts. His name is Charles Reich Bloom. I hope I said his name right. Reich Bloom. And he's going to be with us tonight. And it's going to be, just to let you know, uh, it's going to be a phone interview. So I'll be flashing graphics up on the screen and all that. But uh, the gentleman has very fascinating things to say. The other thing I want to warn you about is at times my face is going to go white. Because as uh, all my friends know, I have a dog that's a chewer. So I... Uh, had written all my notes out, had to go after the front door, the dog ate my notes, so I ended up no time to put them on the computer. Huh, story of my life, right? So that's what's going to happen. When I'm going to be switching screens so I can get into my um, my uh, other screen on the computer. So I'll still be here, though. I'm not going anywhere. Anyway, my guest, I'm, I'm excited to talk with him, and uh, he knows anything, everything, and all about stuff. And if you guys in the chat room have any questions for him, we can do that as well. Okay. And I'll be watching that too. All right. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and call him. And away we go. Have some dial have some dialing music. I love dialing music, right? Here we go. Now we turn that show. Hello, sir. Hello. This is Charlotte with California Haunts. How you doing, sir? Good. This is Charlotte? Yes. Okay. Do you want me to refer to you as that when we talk? You could just, if you want, that's fine. Okay. And how long will we go? We will be going an hour. An hour? Yes, sir. Oh, boy. Okay. We got this. Don't yeah. worry about it. <laughs> this is recorded, is it? It's, it's live right now. We're live right now, you say? Yes, sir. Okay, great. All right. Okay, cool. Well, tell, tell me about you. Yeah, tell, tell me about you, sir. <laughs> well, I, I've been doing this for years. When I was a teenager, I got a job at a radio station. I loved to listen to the radio growing up. And I got a job, uh, in, and this is years ago, more than 50 years ago, we didn't have computers in newsrooms and radio stations. Mm -hmm. And... What they had were teletypes. The news came over teletypes. And my job, they gave me a job. I was like 14, 15 years old of getting the stories that came over the teletypes. Uh, and there were nails up on the wall where you put news stories on one nail, uh, sports stories on another nail, business stories on another nail, feature stories on another nail, and so on. So my job was to sit there and watch the news come over the teletype and then tear, tear it off the machine and put the put it up on the appropriate nail on the wall. And they had me working on a July 4th, since I was the youngest one there, of course I had to work on, they, they picked me to work on the holiday on July 4th in the newsroom. And I'm sitting there watching the news stories come in, there were a lot of feature stories on July 4th. And one story came over the teletype and it said that three of the first five U.S. presidents all died on July 4th. Wow. Uh, boy, I, I don't ever remember learning that in school. And I, that's, that's amazing. 
and it is true. Uh, it's just incredible that, first of all, the three of the first five presidents all died on the same date, all of unrelated causes is amazing, right? Right. And of all the dates in the year, it was July 4th. Uh, it's just incredible, but it is true. The second president, John Adams, died on July 4th, 1826. The third president died on the same July 4th, 1826. That was Thomas Jefferson. And he was in Virginia. Adams was in Massachusetts. Uh, their you know, deaths were completely unrelated, but they died on the same day. And it was July 4th. And then the fifth president, James Monroe, died on July 4th, 1831. And I thought, boy, what an amazing coincidence. So I, I tore off that story off the teletype, uh, made a copy of it, and put the copy in my in my pocket. <laughs> and that really started, that's the first uh, thing that like that that I collected. I, and that started my desire to look for, you know, unusual, interesting facts like that. Uh, and that, that started my, my career of doing that. And I've spent the rest of my life, some 50 plus years since then, uh, doing that. Getting back to the three of the first five presidents dying on July 4th, it's amazing that uh, Adams and Jefferson both died on the same July 4th when Adams was dying, his last words supposedly were, well, Jefferson lives. He didn't know that Jefferson had died earlier that day. Whoa. And of course, in those times, there was no radio or TV or uh, telephones. So he had no way of knowing that Jefferson had also died that, that same day. And the other thing, Charlotte, amazingly, is that we almost came very close to having four of the first five presidents dying on July 4th, because the the fourth president, James Monroe, died on June 28th. He just missed July 4th by one week. So we came close to having uh, four of the first five presidents dying on July 4th. How about that? That is absolutely fascinating to me. I find what you do fascinating. How long did it take you? Like you said, 50 years you've been doing this. You've written, what, five books on all this. How long did it take you to amass the stuff for the first book? Well, over the years, we had a company uh, called I Bet You Didn't Know, and we it was a syndicated uh, newspaper column of odd facts like this, fascinating facts. And we were in a bunch of newspapers over the years. That, that was my basic company, mm -hmm. uh, syndicating this to papers in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, and then after some years, people kept saying, why don't you put that stuff in books? And in the 1990s, I started writing uh, a series of books called Knowledge in a Nutshell. We had a book actually called Knowledge in a Nutshell. Then there was one Knowledge in a Nutshell on sports, Knowledge in a Nutshell on the movies, uh, Knowledge in a Nutshell on America. Mm -hmm. My wife is sitting here <laughs> coaching me. <laughs> uh, and then I finally decided uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Charlotte, to just take the best of all I've collected over the years and put it in one, uh, one, one book, um, whether it be sports or movies or history or geography or just, you know, fascinating facts. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I've called it the all-time book of fascinating facts. So it has the best of what I consider the best of all the stuff I collected over the years, some of which is in the early books I updated you know, others, and then added a lot of new things. This new book is 300 and some pages. Wow. And it, it's really what I consider the best of all the the good facts that I have. Well, you know what? I love what you do. I actually uh, saw you. I read the uh, old-time book of fascinating facts. And, I mean, there's stuff in there I had no clue. And I know my listening audience is going to be surprised by what we're going to talk about tonight. Because, of course, I, I have a list of questions for you. And uh, I'm just excited about this. I'm excited to get to the nuts and bolts of all this. Well, oh, great. It's just amazing how many surprising facts there are. And, it, you know, it's just, uh, I'm sure we'll go through a lot of them tonight. And, uh, you know, folks will be surprised at some of them. Some of them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Oh, I've got. Uh, let me get up my first one here. Okay, um, I'm a. I love hamburgers. People know this. I go to like real expensive restaurants. My dad used to get really upset with me because I would walk into these real high end restaurants and what would I order? I'll have a cheeseburger. You know, I was one of those people. Since there's no ham in hamburgers, how can we call them hamburgers? Yeah, isn't that something? Hmm. And there is no ham in hamburgers. Uh, we say in the books the next time you're having a hamburger with somebody saying, hey, there's no ham in here. Why in the world are they called hamburgers? And that's on one of the early pages in our book, uh, the all-time book of fascinating facts. Uh, the name came from the fact that we had a big immigration of, of Germans in the late 1800s. And among the German immigrants that came here in big numbers in those years uh, after 1850 uh, were, were people from the city of Hamburg, Germany. And it was a custom in Hamburg, Germany to serve ground meat, which was not uh, usual in those days. That was mm -hmm. something a little different, ground meat. And they brought with them their custom of ground meat and people here in the United States started calling the meat hamburgers after Hamburg, Germany, after the people from Hamburg, Germany. So as we say in the book, uh, the name comes from the city of origin. Uh, hamburgers are called hamburgers because uh, they were popular and developed in the city of Hamburg, Germany. They're named after the city of origin. Much like Frankfurters are named after the town of Frankfurt in Germany. And wieners are named after Vienna, Austria, where they were made. And uh, the German pronunciation for Vienna is Wiener. They, they pronounce the V as a W. Uh, I mean, the W is a V. Mm -hmm. And so those things also came from their city of origin, Frankfurters and Wieners. Uh, but hamburgers are really named for Hamburg, Germany. Uh, the next time you have one, just, you know, realize... There ain't no ham in, in hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do something off, to, off subject here. What about French fries? Well, that's another thing. French fries uh, are not from France. We, we have a bunch of stuff that is what we say is misnamed. Mm -hmm. uh, French fries really started in Belgium. And then the French started uh, the, the custom of serving French fries. And again, when we had an immigration of French people to the United States, even though they were developed in Belgium, we called them French fries because of all the French people that came here and brought the custom of French fries here. So they're really misnamed. They really should be called Belgian fries, but they are, are called French fries. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And my next question for you are, um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of President John F. Kennedy, but it's really sad what, you know, what happened to him. Also, to be honest, I'm a fan of Abraham Lincoln as well. Are there any coincidences between the two? Uh, there's so many. Uh, Charlotte, we have a list here. I hope I can remember them all. Uh, of all the incredible coincidences between the assassinations of Abraham Lincoln and John Kennedy. And let me just try to go through the list here. Uh, both were killed on a Friday. Uh, both were sitting next to their wife when they were shot. Neither wife was hurt. Um, Kennedy and Lincoln each have seven letters in their last name. Uh, Lincoln was elected to Congress in 1846. Kennedy was elected to Congress in 1946 for the first time. Mm -hmm. Lincoln was elected president in 1860. Kennedy was elected president in 1960. They were both succeeded by men named Johnson. Lincoln was succeeded by Andrew Johnson. Kennedy, of course, was succeeded by Lyndon Johnson. Uh, both Johnson names have 13 letters, Andrew Johnson, Lyndon Johnson. Um, the assassins each had three word names. We know them with three words. John Wilkes Booth was the assassin of uh, Lincoln and Lee Harvey Oswald, the assassin of uh, Kennedy. They each have 15 letters in their name, John Wilkes Booth, Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, uh, let's see, Oswald shot Lincoln from a warehouse and then went to a theater to hide. Booth shot Ford, <laughs> Booth shot Lincoln in a theater, Ford's theater, mm -hmm. and then went to 
died in a place with the initials PH. After Lincoln was shot, he was taken across the street to uh, a place called the, the Parker House. It was like a boarding house, and that's where he died the next morning. Kennedy died in when he was taken to Park Lane the Hospital, also with the initials PH. Um, let's see what else we have. There's a couple more. Um, oh, uh, Lincoln had sons named Edward and Robert. Kennedy had brothers named Edward and Robert. And then the final two, Lincoln's secretary was named Kennedy. Kennedy's secretary was named Lincoln. And the final one is the car in which Kennedy was riding when he was shot was, would you believe, a Lincoln. Wow. <laughs> How do you find these facts? Are you at libraries well, all the time? Or, 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 well, of course, we have the computer now, but, you know. Yeah, well, just, we, you know, we just keep looking for things like this. Uh, and, and then, uh, like on the Kennedy-Lincoln story you know i just kept building that over the years mm -hmm. as i took you know as i did more research on it and and found more and in the old days you know we didn't have computers but in a way you, you can't always trust everything that's on a computer right so i have to be very careful about that i always try to verify everything with at least three you know sources whereas in the old days we had encyclopedias which were basically accurate uh you didn't have to worry about you know, the validity of the information you were getting as you do today. You really got to double check, you know, what you read on the computer, mm -hmm. especially, you know, with all the social media, some of which is true and some of which is not. True, true, true. Now, I used to be a crime beat reporter back in the day. I spent five years on a crime beat. Why did we call police officers cops? That's interesting. There are a couple of theories, but the most word historians say it came from the fact that in the late 1800s, the custom, especially in the big cities along the East Coast, was for the police officers to wear big copper badges and have copper buttons on their uniforms. And when a policeman would appear on a scene, people would say, here comes the copper. <laughs> and people started calling police officers copper uh, because of the copper buttons and copper badges they wore. And then, of course, over the years, the word copper was shortened to cop, and, and that's where it comes from. There is one theory that it comes from the initial, some people say it, some books you'll read say it comes from the fact that uh, COP stands for Constable on Patrol, mm -hmm. but most word historians disregard that. They don't, first of all, think that police officers are ever called constables anyhow. So it really, I, I'm sure, satisfied that the correct answer is it, it just came from the copper buttons and copper uh, badges that they wore uh, and people would say here comes the copper and copper became cop yeah that makes a lot more sense it really does yeah it really does and, and as i say people didn't call them constables really uh it's an old english word that you know it was rarely used here so I think we can safely say that it, it, it comes from uh, the copper badges and copper buttons. Now, I know Oklahoma, when we cut it down, it's usually okay. But for the word okay, what does that mean? I've never known that. You know, it's amazing, Charlotte, how often we say okay during the day. And we say in our book, uh, many times a day you say okay. And how many times people say it to you? It's amazing how many times we we say okay. And I would guess that hardly anybody knows what the O and the K stand for. Why do we say okay? You know, why those two letters? And the story is, uh, and again, there are a couple of theories on where it came from, but the most uh, prevalent one by most legitimate historians is that it came from. Uh, a man who ran for president and, and was president, Martin Van Buren. Uh, he was elected president in 1860, and then he ran for re-election in 1840. Mm -hmm. And in his re-election campaign, he always talked about his, he was from a little town in upstate New York called Kinderhook. And he used to affectionately call Kinderhook old Kinderhook during his first 
term of president, he always talked about being from old Kinderhook and what a great town it was. Mm-hmm. And so on. it was a Dutch settlement, really, and he, he was of Dutch descent, Martin Van Buren. Uh, so his campaign committee, when he ran for re-election in 1840, uh, they formed the old Kinderhook Club and called it the OK Club. And then they, in the publicity that they kept putting out, they were saying that Van Buren was OK. He was from old Kinderhook, which was OK, which was a good place. And gradually, it's amazing, people started using OK to mean that anybody or anything was all right. Uh, just like the campaign was saying that, you know, the old Kinderhook Club made made Van Buren okay. He was okay because he came from old Kinderhook. And it's just amazing that that expression was adopted by, you know, people throughout the country mm-hmm. uh, to mean all right or good. And then the other amazing thing about that, Charlotte, is that there are just a few words around the world that wherever you go, no matter what language they speak, uh, if you say there are three, we say in the book, there are three expressions that just about everybody understands worldwide, one of which is okay. If you go to almost any country in the world and you say something's okay, they'll know what, you, what you're talking about. Uh, it's one of the most popular expressions worldwide. And again, to forget foreign, just think of the United States, how many times a day we say okay, or the people say okay to us. Uh, it's just incredible. And here it all came from just the fact that this guy running for president was from a town called Kinderhook, and he's the one that named it affectionately Old Kinderhook. He's always talking about Old Kinderhook. And that's where the letters okay came from. It's just amazing that that could happen and it and turn into such a popular expression. I don't think there's any other expression we use as often when you mm-hmm. stop to think about it as we do okay. That is so cool. And I was never really and big. by the way, if you want to know the other two expressions sure. that are known worldwide, sure. no matter what the language is, okay is one. The other two are amen, which is used in just about every religion. Mm-hmm. And the other is taxi. The word taxi is understood just about, you could go almost anywhere in the world and say, get me a taxi. People would know what you're you're talking about. That is really, really cool. Um, Also, I was never really great with math. I I know people who are, but there's something odd about the number nine. What is that? It's just amazing. It's a a magic thing with the letter, I mean, with the number nine. Uh, If you multiply any number by nine, any number from one on up, if you multiply it by nine, the result will always add up to nine. And let's start at the beginning. Nine times two is 18. Eight plus one is nine. Nine times three is 27. Seven plus two is nine. Nine times four is 36. Three plus six is nine. Nine times five is 45. Four plus five is nine. Nine times Six is 54, five plus four is nine. Nine times seven is 63, six and three are nine. Nine times seven are uh, 63, I guess we did that, six and three are nine. Nine times eight, 71, or 72, seven plus two is nine. Nine times nine is 81, eight plus one is nine. And then, you know, those are all little numbers, but if you go to big, just out of the air, pick out any big number. We, we picked out two here, just out of, out of the air. Nine times 335 equals 315. Add that, three plus one plus five, that's three plus one is four, and five is nine. And then take a really bigger number, take nine times, let's see what I do here, 463. And you get the answer is 4,167. Add that up, 4 and 1 is 5, and 6 is 11, and 7 is 18. You have 18, that's 1 plus 8. You got 9. Any number from 1 on up, you add, add up the result, it adds up to 9. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> and that's oh. the only number that that's true of. And it's any number. I mean, we... we 
spent some time with some accountants here uh, going over, you know, on their uh, adding machines, on their calculators, uh, just putting in all kinds of numbers, and it always adds up to nine. That's incredible. I can't wait to get my calculator out and try this. That's that's just too cool. <laughs> that's just really cool. And now what? You know, while we're on the subject of numbers, what does the number 11 have to do with, with 911? Besides oh, being so 11? Again, it's just fascinating uh, how many there are. Uh, first of all, on, on the terrorist attack on 911, uh, the first plane to hit the World Trade Center was Flight 11. You believe wow. there were 92 people on board that first plane nine plus two of course is 11. Uh, this happened in new york city there are 11 letters in the words new york city the second plane in the terrorist attack hit the pentagon if you take the pentagon count the letters in the pentagon that's 11 letters in the pentagon the third plane is the one that crashed on its way to washington Near the town of Shanksville, Pennsylvania, Shanksville has exactly 11 letters in it. Uh, the president at the time was George W. Bush. There are exactly 11 letters in George W. Bush. Um, the two towers side by side, the World Trade Towers, before they were knocked down, side by side standing there looked like the number 11. And then... The final kicker on this, Charlotte, is that after September 11th, there are exactly 111 days left in the year. And that's wow. after September 11th. And there's one more thing. Our emergency phone number, and this has nothing to do with the terrorist attack because the number was picked before this, is 911. That's crazy. So again, we have 911. A lot of coincidences. Wow, 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 wow. Now, it's Christmas. Christmas, oh, holiday season. We'll say holiday, and I am like crazy for for the holidays. I'm, I'm nuts. I've got I've got this tree behind me here. I've got two Christmas trees out my the other half of my house. Where can people or where, where is there a place where Christmas is celebrated all the time? Yeah, there are three places where it's Christmas every day. <laughs> How would you like to live there? There's an island <laughs> in the Indian Ocean. Uh, it's controlled by Australia, and it's named Christmas Island because it was discovered on a Christmas day. There's also an island in the Pacific Ocean called Christmas Island. It was also, it was discovered on a Christmas Eve by the British. And then off the coast of Nova Scotia in Canada, uh, there's a Christmas island named after, oddly enough, a man whose last name, one of the early settlers there, his last name was Christmas. So there are three islands in the world called Christmas Island, and we say in the all-time book of Best St. Facts, uh, there are three places in the world where it's Christmas every day. You can wake up on one of those islands, let's say on July the 1st, and say, uh, here it is, Christmas. <laughs> it's Christmas every day on those three islands. See, that's where I need to be. I could I, I could live a Christmas every day. Every yeah, day. that'd be nice. Now, you know, um, Christmas has a lot of traditions. So how come all we see is green and red during Christmas? Green and red for Christmas colors comes from the fact that uh, the original decoration, uh, the, the Germans were the first one to decorate the Christmas trees. They started outside. They would decorate trees outside. And over the years, they gradually started bringing the trees inside. So they're the ones, by the way, who gave us the idea of Christmas trees uh, in our homes. And then they brought the customs of America, where, again, we had large German immigration in the 1800s, and that's when we first had Christmas trees. We do say in the book, by the way, if I digress on this for a moment, sure. uh, for example, George Washington never had a Christmas tree in his home, uh, nor did hardly anybody else in the early 1800s. It just wasn't a custom at that time. The custom did come from Germany, and it really didn't come. The idea of having a Christmas tree in your home really didn't come to America until we had the German immigration in the late 1800s. And it was helped by the fact that Queen Victoria of England married a German, uh, Prince Albert. Uh, she was a very popular, well-known monarch in the world at that time. And he brought with him the custom of a Christmas tree in the home uh, to England. And there were their first Christmas together 
two of them sitting by the Christmas tree, Queen Victoria and her husband, uh, Prince Albert. And that picture was printed in a lot of newspapers in, in the United States. And that helped spur the idea of having Christmas trees. So the, the, the custom here in America of having Christmas trees really started with those two things, that picture and then the fact that German immigrants brought the custom here. People liked the idea and started having Christmas trees. Uh, really, 1850, 1860 is when it started. But just realized that before that, we, we just didn't have the custom of Christmas trees mm-hmm. uh, in, in homes in America. This is so and, fascinating. And I think that you collect all this stuff. I, I think it's great. I think it's just wonderful. Anyhow, and to answer the original question sure. of why our Christmas colors are red and green, the original decorations by the Germans on the Christmas trees, especially when they had them outside, uh, they didn't have electric lights, of course, in those days. Uh, and it was kind of dangerous to put candles on the trees. So they decorated trees. The custom was with red apples. They put apples oh, cool. as decorations on the tree. And that's where the tradition started, of red and green uh, for the Christmas colors. How cool is that? I like to research stuff too. Now you're making me want to go look all this stuff up. I mean, I want to read, I want to finish reading your book, but it still makes me want to run the library and start looking stuff up. This is great. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of fun. And, and, you know, when you start looking for things like this, it, it, you know, I, I love to read uh, obituaries, not because I like to see who died necessarily, but mm-hmm. in a lot of obituaries in good newspapers, very often you get a, you know, somebody did something you don't know about. And, get a good fact that way absolutely now as we're still on the subject of christmas there's that famous letter that everybody's heard about what's the origins of that there was a little girl named virginia o'hanlon and in the 1880s uh, she asked her father uh, she was eight years old at the time is there really a santa claus and instead of giving her a direct answer he said why don't you write to the newspaper asked them. She wrote to one of the New York newspapers and there was an editor at uh, a paper called the New York World at that time. His name was Francis Church. Uh, significantly enough, that was his last name, Francis Church. And he wrote a beautiful reply. He said on the editorial page, they said they had this letter from a girl named Virginia O'Hanlon who asked, is there really a Santa Claus? And he wrote one of the most beautiful answers you'll ever see. I I can't remember everything in that uh, editorial that he wrote, but basically he said, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. As long as we have love and devotion, uh, some other things, uh, Santa Claus does live. And that letter, that that the answer that he gave, and I'm sorry, I don't have it right here in front of me, but it have a chance to read that letter. It is so beautiful. And the other notable thing about that letter, Charlotte, is that that editorial, that letter, that answer he gave to Virginia Hanlon's question is, is there really a Santa Claus? That letter has been reproduced in newspapers more than any other editorial or any other story in history. Uh, This was in the 1880s. And so we're talking about well over 100 years Newspapers have run his answer uh, over the years. You know, some newspapers run it every Christmas, and and so many newspapers have reprinted that letter so many times over the years. It is the most reprinted editorial. That's another fact. Uh, most reprinted editorial in, in newspaper history. And she uh, died in the nineteen seventies. Uh, she had been a school teacher when Virginia Hanlon grew up. Uh, significantly enough, she became a school teacher and taught for many, many years, over 50 years in the New York public school system. Um, her name was Virginia O'Hanlon and uh, caused the great expression, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And I, I love that line, as long as we have love and devotion some other things here, which I can't remember right now, but uh, there will be a Santa Claus. Oh, and he said, gladdening the hearts of children everywhere. That's such a beautiful uh, definition of of Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. 
Now, you talked earlier about, you know, reading obituaries, you know, maybe to pick up a little bit of information here and there. How else do you, I mean, we talked about, you know, a little bit in the beginning of the show, but what sources do you use to get your facts? Are you looking through encyclopedias and, and, and historical books, or how's that working? Yeah, I, I do that. And when you are specifically looking for something like that, they, they tend to pop up more, you know. Mm -hmm. Just, uh, I'd say reading obituaries is a good source of finding stories like this. Um, and uh, just, you know, when this is on your mind, you, you, you tend to find stories with interesting facts. And then, of course, we, we always double and triple check everything to make sure it's true. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the most popular cartoons to come on, and I, I haven't been able to see it because I don't have uh, cable anymore, but Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. How did that legend of that come about? That's an interesting story. Uh, it all started at a department store in Chicago in the late 1930s. Uh, Montgomery Ward uh, department stores had a, an advertising director. His name was Robert May. And uh, he wrote a, a nice little piece uh, about a, a new reindeer coming into being. They used it as a little story that they gave to customers. It was printed on a sheet. They also used it in newspaper ads. It was not a song. It was just a story he wrote about Rudolph the Reindeer, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, as a giveaway to customers at Montgomery War Department Store and, and in newspaper ads. And then after the war, his brother-in-law, Robert May, the advertising director, his brother-in-law was a guy named Johnny Marks, who was a songwriter, and he got a copy of that poem about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and he wrote music to it. Uh, Johnny, I used to, I, that would make a great song. And he took it to all kinds of uh, singers that he, that he knew in the industry, uh, Johnny Marks, and nobody seemed interested. Nobody wanted to record the song that he had written about Rudolph. Mm -hmm. So finally, he went to an old friend of his, which was Gene Autry, uh, the famous cowboy singer. And uh, Johnny Marks went to him and said, Gee, here's, I think you'd enjoy singing this song. And just as a favor to Johnny Marks, uh, Gene Autry said, okay. He said, I'll put it on the flip side of the next record I'm going to make. This was in 1948. So that's what he did. Uh, he put it on the flip side of the record. And to everybody's surprise, <laughs> became one of the most popular songs of all time. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. All because Gene Autry, just as a favor to the songwriter, uh, made a recording of it. The other interesting thing about that is that originally Robert May called the reindeer not Rudolph but Rollo, huh. Rollo the reindeer. But he had a a four year old daughter, and she didn't like the name Rollo. She said, "Why not?" She came up with the name Rudolph. Uh, would you believe? And so the name really comes from that little girl, and Robert May changed the name from Rollo to Rudolph. And as we say in the book, uh, Rudolph became the most famous reindeer of all. That's absolutely true. And I have a little story to go along with that Gene Autry thing. A lot of people don't know, especially my age and the next generation, who Gene Autry was. My father grew up during the Gene Autry generation. Oh, and he yeah. was a huge fan. And so as a kid, he wanted me to be a huge fan. So I, I, I listened to Gene Autry left and right when I was growing up. I even wrote. Now I don't, you know, you have people. They have publicity things, but I actually have an autographed photo from Gene Autry. Oh, uh, great! Yeah. That well, got popular for a long, long time, and he owned a big league baseball team. He owned the California Angels. Yeah. Uh, and became very wealthy, by the way. He bought back in the 1930s uh, when prices were cheap. He bought a lot of real estate in the Los Angeles area, and then Los Angeles had that big growth after World War II. And he, he became a multimillionaire with all the real estate he owned, to say nothing of all his hit records. He was probably the leading uh, cowboy singer of his, of his time. Absolutely. I'll change the subject a little bit here. You know, um, I'm fascinated, you know, because we talked earlier about uh, Lincoln and, and Kennedy. And uh, 
Was there a man? What man was on scene when three U.S. presidents got assassinated? Yeah, how about that? Uh, it was Robert Lincoln, uh, Abraham Lincoln's son. Of course, was with his father right after Abraham Lincoln was shot in 1865. And then 16 years later, Robert Lincoln had grown up and went into politics himself and was in the cabinet of James Garfield in 1881. And Garfield, President Garfield was leaving on a train trip and the cabinet went down to say goodbye to him. They had some unfinished business to take care of. And while Garfield was standing on the train platform getting ready to board a train, a guy came up, uh, a man described as a disappointed office seeker. He claimed that Garfield had promised him a job and didn't give it to him. Mm -hmm. And this guy came up and shot, and fatally shot James President Garfield. And Robert Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's son, was standing about three feet away from Garfield, from President Garfield, when Garfield was shot. And then amazingly, 20 years after that, in 1901, by that time, Robert Lincoln had left politics, went into business, and was elected president of the of the uh, U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Mm -hmm. There was a business exposition in Buffalo, New York, and President McKinley, U.S. President McKinley at that time, invited Robert Lincoln to come to the business exposition since Lincoln was head of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And just as Robert Lincoln walked in the exhibition hall where the exhibition was, that's where McKinley was fatally shot. There was a guy got in the receiving line uh, at, at the uh, at the exhibition. Uh, he was described as an anarchist and had a revolver. He had his hand taped, and under the tape was this revolver. And of course, in those days, they didn't have metal detectors. This guy got in line, uh, and when he got up to McKinley, he shot and killed McKinley. And Robert Lincoln, as I say again, was standing about just a few feet away from McKinley when McKinley was shot. So at that point, Robert Lincoln said he never again would get near a U.S. president. And as we say in the all-time book of fascinating facts, I doubt if any president would invite him <laughs> to get near to him because he was on the scene when three presidents were assassinated. And, and that was over a period of, you know, from 1865 to... 1901, we've had four presidential assassinations, and Robert Lincoln was on hand for three of them, which is uh, amazing. And he lived a long time after that, Robert Lincoln. He lived till, eight, uh, till 1926. He, he built a beautiful, he became very wealthy, by the way, and, and built a very beautiful home up in uh, Vermont uh, at a uh, shopping area up there where a lot of people go. And uh, his home is, is still available for uh, for tours. Mm -hmm. It's really a mansion. In Man it's a town called Manchester, Vermont. And he lived there uh, for some years until he died in 1926. So he had, he had a long life. Uh, you know, he uh, was with his father when his father was shot in 1865, and he, he lived till 1926. But never again did go to Washington, D.C., by the way, and never again did get anywhere near a president. <laughs> if I was a president, I don't think I'd want him near either. He's kind of like, and I kind of got the dark cloud thing going on. Right. So why do you think people are so fascinated by facts? I know I'm fascinated because being a journalist, of course, that's what we deal in. You know, so it's fascinating to read this stuff. But what do you think, you know, interests people for, for the information that, that, that you have, sir? Well, it's just amazing how many surprising facts there are, how many, I mean, who would think that you know, one person would be on the scene when three U.S. presidents were assassinated. You know, it's just an amazing thing. And, you know, our Kennedy-Lincoln coincidences are amazing. And we have some other coincidences we might talk about. Um, so it's just fascinating. I, you know, um, uh, uh, there used to be a newspaper column called Strange But True. <laughs> and there are so many things that are strange but true. So it just makes life interesting, doesn't it? It does. It keeps it interesting. Hey, why are um, Democratic states blue and Republican states are red? Yeah, I'm, uh, we hear about this, and you know why? Why is it that way? Uh, and the answer is that before uh, 
the year 2000, newspapers and TV stations used different colors on their maps at election time to, you know, say which which state is doing what. And it was all kinds of confusion over different, some states, some newspapers or TV stations used a different combination of colors than uh, another station. It really was confusing. So finally, before the 2000 election between George Bush and Al Gore, uh, the major media got together and said, let's standardize this so it won't be confusing. And they had a meeting, all the, the major networks and leading newspapers had a meeting in New York and to decide to make it standard that Democratic states would be called a certain color and Republican states would be called a certain color. And a guy from the New York Times raised his hands and he said, well, at the Times, we say Republican states are red and Democratic states are blue. And the reason I picked those colors is that Republican and red both start with the same letter R. And the great thing about that, Charlotte, is that makes it an easy way to remember which is which. Uh, the Republican states start with R, so uh, and red starts with R, so that's why Republican states are red, and Democratic states they, they then they picked another color and they picked blue, and they standardize it. And of course, all the media today uh, uses that, and we also use that term. We, you know, news. Reporters just automatically say this is a red state or a, a blue state, and uh, that's where it came from. So it is an easy way to remember it if you ever if anybody ever gets confused over which is which. Republican and red both start with R, so we have Republican states are red and Democratic states are blue. And I was going to ask you, with your research, do you have people helping you look this stuff up? I got some friends who do, and my wife is very helpful. In fact, she's sitting right here, my <laughs> wife, Audrey. Uh, we've been married many years, thank goodness. And she's certainly helped me with research and, and writing. And, and people send me, uh, that, that story on the nines, by the way, was sent to me by a reader of one of my books uh, some years ago. Uh, so, I, you know, I... I gotten a lot of help that way from people who do come up with these facts that uh, I didn't know myself so that, you know, that's very helpful and certainly very much appreciated um, my question too is um, I'm really into uh, NASA and all that stuff and following you know the space races what's the amazing similarity between the first men on earth and the first men on the moon well this is another great coincidence uh, Charlotte um the first men on the moon uh, was Apollo 11, which sent uh, the spaceships to, to, to give us the first men on the moon. And on Apollo 11 were Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that, that space trip put the first men on the moon. And the initials of their last names, Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins, AAC, right? Mm -hmm. Meantime, the first, the biblical first men on earth were Adam, Abel, and Cain, also wow. AAC. Never thought of that. And as we, as we say in the all time book of fascinating facts, is that a coincidence or maybe not? <laughs> wow, that's really cool. Yeah, that is amazing. So, um, is this going to be the last book you write? Yeah, I think so, because I, I put what I consider the best of what I have in this. And in fact, we just updated it. We, we have a question here, uh, Charlotte, about uh, how many presidents' last names end in the same letter. Mm -hmm. Almost 40% of all U.S. presidents' last names end in the same letter. And that letter is N, by the way. Wow. And we, we had to update it because we wrote this book in... 2016, mm -hmm. before Joe Biden was president, and so we had to update the book. That's one thing we updated to put his name in there as one of the presidents who whose last name ends in N. And if we could talk about that for a moment, sure. It is amazing how many presidents' last names have ended in N. It's just incredible. We started.
start with George Washington, and then Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, uh, let's see if I can remember them all, Andrew Jackson, Martin Van Buren, who we were talking about before, William Henry Harrison, uh, let's see, uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Andrew Johnson, very interesting see this is i tell you i'm gonna do it i'm gonna get off this thing tonight and i'm gonna go do, do all kinds of research and stuff because this stuff just get it just fascinates me well thank you it, it's it's a lot of fun it really is <laughs> uh, it just makes life enjoyable and uh, we've just had so many cases where people are asking their kids these questions and the kids like to ask the parents it it's a great book for um you know, being in a car on a trip, you can ask questions back and forth. That is cool. And now, for people that might be sports fans, what facts in sports stand out to you the most? What was that again? I'm sorry. For, pe for people that are sports fans, what particular facts in sports stand out to you the most? Well, uh, we, we have a, a number of sports facts in there, one, one of which is the Super Bowl would you believe it was named by an eight-year-old girl? Really? Um, when the two, the, we, we had the American football, we had two competing pro football leagues back in the 1960s, the American Football League and the National Football League. And they merged. Uh, they were losing money because they were each trying to sign players, the same player, and it was driving the price of players up. So... The two leagues merged in the middle of the 1960s, and they wanted to know what to call their championship game. They were going to have a game at the end of the season. Uh, the teams from the American Football League, the one that finished uh, in first place against the one in the National Football League. And Lamar Hunt, who owned the Kansas City Chiefs, was on the committee to come up with a name for the final championship game. Before that, the championship game was simply called the National Football League Championship game. Not a very catchy name, but that's, mm -hmm. that's what it was called. Uh, they didn't have a name like the World Series does for baseball. It was just called the National Football League Championship game. So anyhow, they were deciding what, you know, what name they could use to call their championship game after the NFL and the AFL merged. And Lamar Hunt, who owned the Kansas City Chiefs, is on the committee, and he's on the phone one summer afternoon talking to other owners on the committee, uh, what, what shall we call our championship game, which was going to start in the next season. Mm -hmm. Meantime, Lamar Hunt is on the phone there in his living room, and on the floor in the living room is, is his eight-year-old daughter, whose name was Sharon Hunt, and she was playing with a very popular toy at the time. This was 1965. It was called the Super Ball. It was a real thick black rubber ball that bounced real high when you when you bounced it, she's sitting there on the floor playing with this Super Bowl, and she's overhearing her father talking about various names that other owners are coming up with what we can call our championship game. And she very innocently said, as she is bouncing the Super Bowl, she said to her dad, why not call it the Super Bowl? Mm -hmm. And there was a pause for a moment. Lamar smiled, laughed, and said, oh, my daughter just said, why don't we call it the Super Bowl? And there was a silence on the phone, and one owner after another said, hey, that's a pretty good idea. And this is a true story. Uh, I, I got to know Lamar Hunt. Um, we, we had some, we had a tennis league that I was involved in, and, and he was active in tennis as well as football. And if I could just digress for a moment sure. to to verify the story, I, I wrote the story about it. I had heard that this that she came up with the name Super Bowl, and we had this late meeting you know, for our tennis league, and I managed to sit next to Lamar Hunt, and I brought the 
really is this really true? I wanted to, you know, verify the truth of it before I put it in the book. So he starts to read it. And he takes a pen out of his pocket and puts a big X in the middle of the story. And I thought, oh my goodness, I guess it's not true. But what he put an X over was I had misspelled her. I had misspelled her name as Sharon S H A R O N. He said her name is S H A R R O N. There are two R's in her name. That was the mistake I had in the story, and it was the change he made of Sharon Hunt. And he, he said, yes, it is true, and he does credit her uh, with the name, and the NFL does confirm that as a true story. So isn't that amazing that an eight-year-old girl, uh, and the last I checked, by the way, she is still living, uh, and you don't hear much about her, and I often wonder, i got to do some more research on this, I often wonder as she's watching the Super Bowl each year, <laughs> if she's thinking, hey, I came up with that name. That is really cool. Well, that's cool. <laughs> it, it is amazing. The other great sports fact we have, Charlotte, is uh, there was a baseball player called Richie Ashburn who was in the majors for a long time. He played with the Phils and the Mets. And he was at bat one day. He was a very nice guy, by the way. He had a very nice reputation. He was at bat one day, and he hit a foul ball. And unfortunately, the foul ball hit a woman right in the face. Uh, she was in a box seat uh, right down the foul line. And this ball hit her right, right smack in the face. And he stepped out of the batter's box and realized what had happened. And the ushers and the security guys uh, rushed to her because it was obvious that she you know, was badly hurt by that. And so he kept standing out of the batter's box just to, you know, kept looking over. He felt so bad. And he, he took off his cap. He tipped his cap to her as if to say, you know, wishing her good luck. And then he watched as they lifted her up and started walking her to the first aid room, which was a couple of sections away. So while they, the ushers were taking her up the steps and uh, on, on the walking to a couple of sections over to the first aid room, Richie Asburn stepped back in the batter's box again and was ready for the next pitch. The next pitch came in. This is a true story. And he fouled off that pitch as well. And of all the thousands of people at the ballpark that day, what do you think happened? That foul ball hit the same woman. Oh, my God. she was already now a couple sections away from where she originally was because they were walking her to the first aid room. That same foul ball, or that second foul ball, hit that same person. Two said, you know, she was like two sections away from where she was originally. Can you? That's a true story. Can you imagine that? It turns out, by the way, that she was the wife of a sports reporter, <laughs> <laughs> and somebody suggested maybe he was mad at the sports reporter. But it was a total accident. It was wow. a total coincidence that he would hit two foul balls, who would hit the same person in two different locations in the same game. It's just an amazing fact, and it. It is true. I mean, it, he definitely, uh, you know, confirmed that as have others. Wow, it's just not her day, man. That 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 would that'd be yeah. horrible, absolutely horrible. Last question for you tonight, sir, is uh, what are the origins to the Happy Birthday song? Happy birthday to you. We all know the song. Uh, in fact, it is said that more people know the words to that song than to any other song in the world, and I guess that is true. Uh, but anyhow. Everybody knows the song, Happy Birthday to You. And when I say everybody, everybody probably, what age, three on up, old and new, young and old, know it. Uh, but hardly anybody knows who wrote the song. And the amazing thing is that that most popular song was not written by any famous songwriter, but by two school teaching sisters who were not songwriters, never wrote another song. Their names were Mildred and Patty Hill. Uh, they were from Lexington, Kentucky, two school teachers. And they had written a song. Mildred and Patty loved to play the piano and sing. And they had written a song called Good Morning to All, which they used to play as the kids came to school each, each morning. And one day they realized that one of the kids was having a birthday the next day. So that the evening before uh, the next day, they changed the words from good morning to all to happy 
day to you, and history was made. The song became, we might say, the most popular of all time. And here it was written by two people who were not songwriters, not professional songwriters. Uh, as, by the way, have many of our other songs been written by non-professional songwriters. Our national anthem, Star Spangled Banner, was written by a lawyer who was not a songwriter. Francis Scott Key, Caps, was written by an Army general who never wrote another song in his life. And there are so many like that. It's just amazing. But anyhow, we, we have the whole story on Happy Birthday to You. And, um, that's also in our book, The All-Time Book of Fascinating Facts. Awesome. Charles, I thank you for coming on tonight. I have learned so much. Oh, my gosh. This was great. Well, I, I certainly enjoyable being with you, and you've certainly been a, a wonderful uh, radio host. Uh, appreciate it being with you. All right, sir. Well, I was and, to... and if I might mention, uh, uh, Charlotte, our, our website uh -huh. is knowledgeinanutshell.com. If anybody would like our book, The All-Time Book of Fascinating Facts, sure. uh, you can read all about it and see. And there's some discounts here if you get more than one for Christmas gifts or whatever. Uh, the, the name of the website is knowledgeinanutshell.com. You can read about the book there. The name of the book is The All-Time Book of Fascinating Facts. Absolutely. So what's next for you? Uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just let people know about the book. And okay. uh, we just had so many nice comments about it. It's just very fulfilling and, you know, it makes you feel good. And uh, So we, we just want to let as many people know as possible about all-time book of fascinating facts all right sir well thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it well thank you it's a pleasure being with you you've certainly been a wonderful host right, you have a good one you too thank you okay bye-bye bye. bye okay that was fascinating hang on let me reach my phone over here i want to turn the thing off somebody somebody will call inadvertently hang on i have to deal with this so many buttons in my life it's silent mode okay Anyway, uh, I thought that was a pretty cool show. I love that stuff. I love facts. Um, I can't get enough facts. My dad used to tell the offbeat stuff, you know, when I was growing up. So that's where I got my love of facts from. Anyway, tomorrow night is Casual Fridays with Medium Nancy Matts. And we're going to stay on the subject of talking to your ghost. Um, the topic tomorrow is going to be living with a ghost. And what do you do for a ghost that doesn't want to leave? How do you talk to it? How do you handle that? So we're going to be talking about that tomorrow night. But anyway, I'm glad you guys came in tonight. We had a little drama on Facebook today. I didn't want to say anything at the beginning of the show. But I think the drama's been taken care of. I hope it's been taken care of. We'll find out. Um, if you're listening, and again, um, which I forgot to tease the pages. If you're listening from Facebook and you like the show, please be sure to like and, uh, and follow. I'm looking for followers on Facebook because I think we got a real nice show here. Also, if you're watching from YouTube tonight and you like the show, please be sure to hit that follow and turn the mic off. Hang on. Please be sure to hit that follow button. I mean, I'm sorry. My, yeah. My talk, YouTube. See, I'm losing my mind. If you're watching from YouTube, there's a little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen here. Click on that. That will bring up a little red pop-up button that says subscribe. And that will subscribe you to all of our videos. We have more than 450 sitting over there. Even though it says 411, there's 450. And there are different topics, like tonight's topics. I don't always like to do paranormal topics. So I'm sure there's something that will interest you. I think there's something there for everybody. And I appreciate it. If you want to contact me or find me, and I'm, I'm always looking for follows over at TikTok. And that's under California Haunts. It's all lowercase. And also over at Instagram at GhostyGal. And that's all lowercase. Or you can follow me over at Twitter. At California at, at Kel Haunts. So we're everywhere, all over Facebook, all those places. So you can check us out. But I really want to thank everybody for coming tonight. Um, here we go. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Also, um, because we're we act as a nonprofit, which means when we do investigations, we do not take any money for investigations, we do it to help people. I do have to keep the bills paid and uh, transportation costs and all that, plus the bills paid for the internet here to keep this show on the air. So you can find it in your heart to uh, help me out a little bit. That would uh, help the group out. All, all proceeds go back to California Haunts uh, team and uh, the show. If you can find it in your heart to help us out, you can do that at paypal.me 
paypal.me at California Haunts, or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, there's a Venmo, and then just type in California Haunts and Venmo. That would be great. I'd really appreciate it, but it's not required, right? It's, it's, like, a, it's, like, it's like a rolling tip jar at the bottom of the page here, you know? But anyway, I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. with with medium Nancy Mats, and we're going to have a nice Friday thing going tomorrow, okay? So I'll see you, and have a nice evening.